Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. Hey, when you're done listening to this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content. Our app is actually the best place to keep up with everything going on at Hope. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. What is up, Hope? How are we? Good. Awake today. Welcome to all of you joining us at one of our physical campuses, Apex, Morrisville, Garner, and Raleigh, and joining us online all across the country and the world. You picked a great week to join with us because we're starting a new series. You guys excited? This verse changed my life, and it's just an opportunity for you to hear from me and maybe some other pastors that you haven't met, and just a time for us to share what's on our heart and some of our favorite verses in the Bible. There's no theme that's going to recur every single week. It's just us getting up here and really sharing with you a certain passage of Scripture that God used to radically reorient or change our lives. And so I have the honor of kicking this series off, and uh, there's so many choices of verses God has used used his word powerfully in my life. But after a lot of prayer, I really feel like God uh, led me to this verse that he really used powerfully in my life uh, way back in 2015. We're not going to read it right now. We're going to get to it about halfway through my talk here, but it's in Psalm 29. It's actually Psalm 2910. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can go ahead and turn there. And uh, for a lot of reasons, uh, Psalm 29 really captured my heart back in 2015. Um, it, It was the year that our church plant in Asheville launched. And I'll talk more about that. But um, it was actually around the time where um, I had spent a lot of the funds and uh, we hadn't launched yet. I had no idea what was going to happen. And it's for the first time in my life, I really started experiencing fear or dread, like this heavy weight of fear. And if you know me, I'm not a very fearful person. Uh, My wife tells me that a lot. My wife uh, uh, lives wisely. She exercises caution. She knows you shouldn't just rush into dangerous situations because there can be consequences. I'm the exact opposite. I think the world is a happy, glorious place and it's always going to be sunshining and, uh, and uh, there's no danger out there whatsoever. In fact, in college, my roommates would get so mad at me because I would often just pick up hitchhikers or homeless people on the side of the road and uh, I'd take them to lunch. Sometimes I'd take them back to our apartment so they could shower and do some laundry and my roommates are like, you can't do that. What if they rob us? I'm like, that'll never happen. Um, and I did that in uh, Asheville too. I would hang out downtown with a lot of the people that were down on their luck. And I I would take uh, this guy and his girlfriend to the methadone clinic every single morning at 6 a.m. That's an interesting place to hang out. But um, God did some work there. One time I made friends with someone that, that just got out of prison there in Asheville. And he was in prison for leading a very famous high speed chase across Buncombe County that lasted way longer than it should have. And so he was just getting out and I befriended him. He would come to church. And so we invited him over to our house for like holiday meals and stuff. Uh, Well, one Sunday, I guess he was having a hard time. He was down on his luck and he knew I was at church. So he went to my house and tried to kick in the garage door. And it's that I learned that that caution may be a good thing. So uh, I'm not that fearful, but um, church planning was was different than anything I'd ever experienced before. It wasn't just a change of job. It was a change of life. It was a huge risk. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of church plants try to start and they don't make it. They fail. And so we had 18 people 
uh, that were so bought into the vision uh, that God had given me and my wife that they uh, sold their houses, they quit their jobs, they moved up to Asheville and rented apartments and eventually bought houses up there too. I also had two staff members that raised some of their own support, but were really reliant on me and the church to feed their family. And uh, church isn't like a business. I don't know if you guys know that. Uh, there's no product that we sell. Uh, we're completely reliant on the generosity of the attenders and the grace of God. And, uh, and just because we're in a big church is no different here. Uh, but this was a huge leap of faith. And so it was around July that I began really experiencing this, this type of fear because it's around that time where I'd spent most of our startup funds on things like a sound system, chairs. You got to buy chairs to have church. Uh, we, we spent some money on Kid City supplies. And there was just enough in the bank to get me and my staff members through about three or four weeks after we launched. And it was in that moment where I just started having these thoughts. What if this was a mistake? What if no one shows up? And we had started a Bible study that had grown to like 60 or 70 people on a good night, which was cool, but still I had no idea what was gonna happen. And so I had these thoughts, what if our giving stops? What if I've led all these people up here and through major life changes through nothing? Really, basically, my fear was, what if I, fa I fail? And though I never said it out loud, that was the fear that would wake me up in the morning and kind of make me toss and turn all night. Just this heavy weight of fear. And it was like unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. And so I talked with some other church planners. I talked with my wife and they're like, that fear is kind of natural, but you have to do something to reorient your thinking. You can't, you can't possibly live in constant fear. You ever felt that type of fear? I'm guessing with what happened in our world the past two or three years, or just knowing how the economy is right now, or just knowing that life by its very nature is a fearful experience, a lot of us have felt that type of fear. Maybe the circumstances that brought you into that fear is different, but if I had to guess, a lot of us have felt that, or maybe are right now in this moment. In fact, I did some digging online and I looked at the Mayo Clinic website, and it says that 30 million people in America don't just fear a little bit, but they have certifiable phobias. They're real phobias. In fact, there's a medical term for what I was feeling. It was a tickophobia, which is the fear of failure. And you've heard of phobias, right? There's acrophobia, the fear of heights, arachnophobia, the fear of spiders. But if you actually start looking at the list of phobias, they get really weird. And I just want to share some with you. There's the dentophobia, which is a fear of dentists. Uh, there's cyclophobia, there's a fear of bicycles. Uh, there's electrophobia, not the fear of electricity, but the fear of chickens. Um, there is palatophobia. If this is your phobia, this is probably not a good church for you. It's the fear of baldness and bald people. Half our pastors are bald, some by choice, I guess. There's a tacophobia, not the fear of tacos, but the fear of pregnant women. Uh, don't go to the Apex campus. There's like four kids to every one adult. And then there's a Oprah manophobia, not the fear that Oprah is a man, strangely, but it is the fear of ventriloquists. And uh, finally, there's phobophobia. It's the fear of fears, right? We all face certain fears. I think all of us have spent a night in bed just kind of tossing and turning. What if this happens? Or what if that happens? What if I don't ever figure out God's purpose for my life? Or what if I don't get into the college of my dreams? Or what if my marriage never gets any better? Or what if my spouse never changes? Or what if I lose my job? Or what if I get sick? Or what if something harms my kids? All of us feel that. But the question is, what do you do with that fear? So that's the question that I had to answer in 2015. And that's the question I want to try to answer 
today because there's the tendency, a natural inclination to do one of two things, depending on kind of your personality. Uh, one is to muscle through it, to tell yourself, ah, there's nothing to be afraid of and just to charge kind of blindly into the unknown. Or you can retreat and you can let fear paralyze you and you can just stay stuck in your safe little bubble. Your bubble. But both of these are wrong. There is real danger out there. You can get hurt, like charging into the unknown might mean like an ex-con tries to break into your garage when you're preaching, right? So that's not wise. And the second one where you let fear paralyze you, that's, that's, that's not really living. But see, the Bible offers a third way. The Bible says that the way forward when it comes to fear is not to minimize your fears. There's, there's real scary things out there. And it's not to let it paralyze you either, but instead we have to learn how to add God to that equation. And not the God that we commonly think of, that we have a picture of in our minds, but the real God of the Bible, which brings us to Psalm 29. Uh, this is known as the Psalm of the Storm. And so we kind of need to get into a stormy mindset to really make this Psalm come alive. There's gonna be a lot of audience participation, okay? So across all of our campuses, online, there's gonna be some stuff that you're gonna have to do. But I want you to think back to the craziest storm that you've ever been in. If you just moved to North Carolina, it might be the thunderstorm that happens every single Thursday during the summer, right? Uh, or maybe for me, it was Hurricane Hugo. I remember uh, waiting out that storm when I was younger. In fact, let's not even imagine, let's recreate a storm across all of our campuses online. You can do it if you want, your dog's gonna freak out, but that's fine. So I want everyone here in the room right now to slowly start rubbing your hands together. Go ahead. I can see you, good. This is kind of the storm approaching, right? This is kind of the rain starting up. Now I want you to kind of snap your fingers a little bit. That's the drizzling, listen, kind of happening all around us. I want you to start kind of lightly slapping your legs, your own legs, not your neighbors, your legs, yes. So this is the approach of the storm, right? Keep going. It's where the, the, the clouds kind of darken. There's a little bit of rumbling thunder in the background. The rain starts to come down. Now I want you guys to start some light clapping. Just light clapping, right? This is the steady rain. Now clap a lot. This is the heavy rain. Keep going. Now start to stomp your feet. Stomp your feet. Keep going. This is the full brunt of the storm. Keep going. The thunder is deafening, right? The house is shaking. The, the trees outside are going crazy. Now go back to just some light clapping, just some light clapping and just some snapping and just some rubbing your hands together and then stop. The storm has passed. That's a little humid outside as the sun comes up and silence has returned. This is how Psalm 29 is arranged. Uh, verses one through two is the storm's approach. Uh, verses seven, uh, verses three through nine are the brunt of the storm. Some people call it the seven thunderclaps of God because it repeats the voice of the Lord seven times. And then uh, verses 10 through 11, we have the aftermath of the storm. So imagine with me, we're in the temple in Jerusalem, which is where this psalm is kind of taking place. And all of Israel's in the temple. And if you don't know, the temple is on the Temple Mount in the city of Jerusalem, which is at elevation anyway. So there's a beautiful view of all the valleys surrounding Israel. And we're in the middle of a worship service. And so David is our worship leader for the morning. And so we've already watched the countdown video and we've gone through unscripted, right? And so David gets on the stage and he begins the worship service like this. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. 
Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. That term heavenly beings, commentators think that David's might mean one of three things. He's either talking about angels or he's talking about the kings and princes of the earth or he's talking about pagan deities like the gods with a lowercase g that the countries around Israel worship. I think it's the last one. Uh, because this psalm bears a striking resemblance to a Canaanite hymn to the god Baal. And so what David's doing is he's taking a popular worship song and he's taking out the word Baal and he's inserting the word Yahweh or the Lord. Um, He's saying Baal is not the true God, but the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, he is the one true God. And here's something I want to point out and we'll move along. But here's the thing about fear. Fear like nothing else, it exposes our idols. It reveals what we really trust in, doesn't it? Fear really is basically just realizing that all of the things that we put our trust in that are not God are about to fail us. That's why we feel fear. A lot of times we say that we are trusting God, but in reality, we're trusting in our own strength or in our own wisdom or in our own ingenuity or in another person or in a system or in an organization. And the first thing we have to do when facing our fears is to realize the insufficiency of anything but God to place our trust in. I didn't know it, but when I was, when I was feeling that fear in church planning, it's because I was really placing my trust in the vision of the church or placing my trust and hope in my own charisma or in our ability as a congregation to draw a crowd. And what I was realizing is that those things could possibly fail. In fact, as the church blossomed and grew, I learned that all of those things would eventually fail because they aren't God. That's why I was feeling fear. And so David, to combat our fear, is right away getting our minds away from small, weak, unreliable gods and focusing our attention on the one true God. He's saying that compared to your strength, God is immeasurably stronger. Compared to your own wisdom, God is eternally wiser. Compared to anything that you could put your trust in, God is infinitely better. And sometimes to get our hearts to remember that, we just have to say it or sing it out loud. That's why I love that this is basically a worship song. He tells us to ascribe to God glory, ascribe to the Lord strength. There's power when we come here on the weekends or online and actually say words, speak words, sing songs together. There's power in telling God how strong he is and how glorious he is because in doing that, in speaking that, we remind ourselves how nothing else is strong or as glorious as our God. And so David, the worship leader, begins this whole worship service and he shouts out, ascribe to the Lord and everyone shouts back glory. And he says, ascribe to the Lord and everybody shouts back strength. So we're going to recreate that again. Okay. You only have two more audience participation. This is one of them. So I'm going to say, ascribe to the Lord. You're going to shout back glory. I'll say, ascribe to the Lord. You shout back strength. You ready? Ascribe to the Lord. Glory. Ascribe to the Lord. A little bit louder. Ascribe to the Lord. Glory. Ascribe to the Lord. Strength. Now. After they say that, they can kind of look off to the west and they see a storm brewing on the Mediterranean Ocean. And it's beginning to approach the city. The sky is darkening. There begins to be some rolls of thunder. And so David begins to raise his voice above the storm that's coming. He says in verse three, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. 
The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. In the ancient world, uh, storms, especially thunder and lightning storms, were super, super crazy events because they didn't understand the science behind it. A lot of ancient people thought that thunder and lightning resulted from the gods that they worshiped getting into a fight. And so it was, this, it was the most destructive force in all of the world. And it just seems so chaotic and so random and so out of control. But see, David sees this lightning storm forming over the sea and he sees God in all of this. Unlike the other gods that people believed in, God doesn't just unleash a series of random events. He's over the storm. He's in complete control of the storm. He's sovereign over it. And so the storm begins to move east and inland and it encounters um, some of the, the force there on the coast. And David says this in verse five, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. You guys ever see lightning hit a tree? is scary. You can just reduce it to splinters or the wind from storms can kind of uproot a tree. Um, but these are the cedars of Lebanon. These are the biggest trees that grow around Jerusalem. They're 14 feet around at the base. They can grow to 115 feet tall. And David says, just the voice, just the word of the Lord demolishes these trees. And then as the storm moves further east up and begins to get into the mountain ranges, it says in verse six, he makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a, a young wild ox. These are, these are mountain ranges with peaks and valleys and summits. And interestingly enough, they're the exact same mountain ranges that the Canaanites believed Baal lived and all the other gods. This was like their Mount Olympus. This was their home base. So as the storm and the, 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 the one true God enters these mountain ranges, it's almost like God talks to them like a farm animal that got out of its pen. He says, get up, get up, get boy, go. And these mountain ranges literally uproot themselves before the splendor and majesty of God and they flee. And as the storm gets closer and closer to the temple, it says the voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. And so it's not just trees and it's not just mountain ranges, but now entire forests are engulfed in flames. And there's these whole landscapes that are literally quivering and shaking at the sound of the voice of the Lord. And then the storm kind of moves inland. It says, verse nine, the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. <laughs> you ever been so scared you just had a baby? <laughs> like spontaneous childbirth? That's a weird verse. If you actually uh, look at it in your Bible, it might have a different translation or it might have like a, a footnote. And uh, that's because in, in, in some translations, it says um, this verse is either the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth or the voice of the Lord makes the oaks shake. Those are two entirely different sentences. Remember, Hebrew doesn't have vowels. And so you can stick three consonants together. It can mean a lot of different words. And so you kind of have to know from oral tradition what it meant. Later vowels or pointers were added. Um, but usually you can tell from the context. And I think makes the oaks shake makes more sense in context. But 
spontaneous deer birth is awesome too, right? Like thunder, Bambi. I just get a kick out of that verse. Well, uh, so the storm slowly moves all the way into Jerusalem and it moves into the downtown area and it finally moves up to the Temple Mount. And now it's right above the temple with the thunder going crazy, the lightning still happening. There's just this torrential downpour. And so David just shouts over the wind and over the rain to the people ascribed to the Lord, verse nine, and in his temple, all cry glory. Last speaking part, ready? I'll say ascribe to the Lord, you yell back glory. Ready? Ascribe to the Lord. Glory. Ascribe to the Lord. Glory. Ascribe to the Lord. Glory. And the storm passes. And as it recedes to the south and the noise and the wind and the rain die down, David looks as the storm goes away and he leaves us with one parting thought. And this is the verse, the verse that changed my life. Verse 10, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord bless his people or give his people strength. And may the Lord bless his people with peace. It's just one thought. God is over the storm. And that one thought, no matter what you're facing, should give you strength and should give you what? Peace. Peace, the opposite of fear. And as I begin to dwell on just that one thought, it's just five words. God is over the storm. God is over the storm. Slowly, I begin to experience the peace that David talked about. It's just five words, but they're so powerful. Just the first two kind of stuck with me for a day. God is. God is. You know what I realize when I'm afraid? You know what I'm doing? I'm imagining a future without God. God isn't. And it's not just that I'm imagining it, I'm fixating on it. I'm taking one bad thing that could happen and adding another bad thing that could happen, and then adding a third, and adding a fifth, and adding a tenth, and never adding the idea of God. And when I do that, the answer to the equation is always going to be what? It's going to be fear. It's going to be dread. I'm obsessing over the worst case scenario, and I'm leaving out God. I'm being really a temporary atheist. I'm forgetting about all the things that he's done and all the ways that he's worked in the past and I'm removing him from this present situation. And all that I'm left with is my strength and my wisdom and my ability. And I don't know about you, but my track record doesn't hold a candle to God. Of course I'm afraid. When I take God out of the equation, the answer will always equal fear. And I realized I gotta add God back to the equation. <laughs> and and I, I don't know if you know this, but adding God to any situation, it's kind of like adding the infinity symbol to a math equation. I'm not like a mathematician, but I know it doesn't just change the answer, like it changes the rules, right? And we've experienced that. How many of you know that when you add God to the situation, crazy stuff happens, like something that you thought would harm you actually serves to give you strength or something that you thought would end you actually turns out to be a new beginning. See, one of the biggest antidotes to fear is just reminding ourselves, oh yeah, God is. But David says more than that. It's not just that any God is. It's that our God is, <laughs> or the God that is, is our God. David says, may the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with strength. We are his people. He is our God. In other words, the God that is, He's for you 
and he's for me. He's committed to you. You are his child. He loves you. His face is turned towards you. He never forgets you. His heart is to provide for you and to protect you. He's for you and he's for me. So David says, when you're facing fear, when the future just terrifies you, you have to remember yourself, oh, there is a God that is. And the God that is, is for me. But he says more about God. It's not just that God is, but he says, God is over. The God that is, is sovereign. The God that is, is in control. He's in complete control. The Bible says that he's the alpha and he's the omega. That he is the beginning and he is the end. That he knows everything that will ever happen and has ever happened on this planet that he has created and sustained for so many years. And that includes the rising and the falling of kings and kingdoms. That includes the intricate uh, twists and turns of your individual life. And Jesus says that even includes the birds of the air and every single lily of the field. You know what that means? It means that the God that is and the God that is for us, he's never caught off guard. He's never surprised. He's never shocked. He never goes, son of a gun, how did I let that happen to one of these children that I love, right? He never says that because he is over. He's in control. Did you notice what David said the posture of the Lord was? He didn't say the Lord stands above the, of the storm. What did he say? The Lord sits enthroned above the storm. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. With all the crazy stuff that might be going on in your individual lives and all the crazy stuff that's happening in our world, the picture that we see, if we could just zoom up into heaven, would not be a God that's wringing his hands and pacing around. It's not a God that's going from one angel meeting to another saying, how do we fix this? How do we control this? He's not in disaster control mode. He's not walking in circles, wringing his hands. What's he doing? He's sitting because he's sovereign and he knows how it's all going to work out because he planned it that way. He's at rest. He's at peace. And because he's at peace, we can be at peace. See, most of our fear results from thinking that if things are out of my control, then they must be out of God's control as well. But that is never the case. He's in control. And listen, that control doesn't stop when bad things happen to you. It doesn't break down when the storms come. No, that's the whole point of the psalm. David says he's not just over the good things that happen or the blessings or the sunshiny days, but he says specifically and repeatedly, God is over the storms. He's over the bad things. He's over the scary things. See, when David looks at the storm and it's this, it's this habit that God's produced in him over the years. When he looks at a storm, he doesn't see fear. He doesn't see dread. He hears the voice of the Lord and he sees the hand of God. And he knows because if you just read about David's life, he's experienced it a hundred times before that the God of the Bible has this really peculiar habit of showing up and actually bringing blessing through the storms, through the crazy things, through the scary things of life. David knows this, like, when he was out watching his sheep, the first time God brought him a lion, he's like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, this is crazy. Kills the lion, saves the sheep. And the next week, what does he bring? He brings a bear. And he's like, God, you gotta stop doing this. You know, not, no elephant or rhino next. And he's wondering why God let that happen until he's standing before a giant, right? 
And he's like, oh, that was God preparing me. That was actually God's blessing in disguise. And we see this pattern everywhere. God shows up to Moses in a crazy fire. He's present with the Israelites in a dark cloud. Those are scary things. Jesus walks to the help of his disciples, the aid of his disciples upon the water of a storm-tossed sea. God often brings the best things through the scary things. And see, David's reminding us that the storms that God allows in your life, it's not so that he can drown you. It's so we can rain down a little bit more blessing or water and nurture some area of your life or shield you from the sun or maybe even protect you, strangely enough. I've been reading through the Old Testament in preparation for a series we're going to do in the fall. And um, I've just been captivated by the life of Joseph. But Joseph, he faced some storms, didn't he? He faced a lot. He was sold into slavery. Uh, he was proclaimed to be dead. He was falsely accused. He was innocently jailed. He was looked down upon. He was forgotten for years. But the end of his life came and he faced his brothers, the people that caused a lot of these storms. And what did he end up saying? He's saying, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me into this position so I could save the lives of many people through the storms. And notice he doesn't say that God turned this into good or that God kind of somehow picked up all the broken pieces and made something halfway good out of it. He said, no, 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 he meant it for good. He intended it for good. It was in the plan. He factored in pain and suffering and storms when he planned our lives out. But instead of bringing harm, they actually bring life and blessing. And the clearest example of this is what? It's Jesus on the cross. The Bible says that was a stormy day. That it was in the afternoon, yet the clouds were so dark, it was like nighttime. There was an earthquake. There was like the rumbling of thunder the entire time. And the worst thing to ever happen for the Savior to be murdered by the very people that he came to save, from the very worst thing to happen in all of history, resulted in the greatest good, didn't it? The saving and forgiveness and freedom of anyone that would accept it. And what we see in the Bible is that, listen, listen, everything that happens in your life follows that same pattern, follows the pattern of Jesus, that what looks like death will actually result in life, that what looks like a storm is actually the graceful and merciful hand of our loving God, working all things for his glory and our good. God is God is over, and he's even over the storm. And uh, that thought changed my life. I actually came back to Raleigh to hang out with a church planner that was training with me and come to find out he was scared to death too. He was this close to quitting, <laughs> and uh, his church did way better than mine. But um, we actually had lunch, and I said, you know what? Let's just think crazy thoughts. Like, what's the worst thing that could happen? And my buddy said, well, we could fail. And I was like, you're right. We could uh, shut down the church, or the church, worse, could, could never even get started. All our givers could, like, go away. Um, no one would come. It would be a miserable failure. Our families would go hungry for a few weeks until we found other jobs. And we just, we just utterly and miserably fail. But if any of that happens, it must be because God allowed it, right? <laughs> and the God that allowed it is for me and is sovereign, and would only allow it for my glory and my good. So failing is really not that bad, right? <laughs> and we kind of laugh, but strangely, through that thought, I felt peace. 
And I also felt strength. There's a strange, weird amount of freedom. Freedom to risk and freedom to step out in faith when you're resting in the God that is over the storm, right? So that's the verse that changed my life. And, and maybe that's you. Maybe God brought you here this week or you tuned in online so you could find that strength. You could find that rest. You could find that peace. And you can if you just remember that God is and God is over. And he's even over the storm. So would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Just a small example of how it's living and it's active. <laughs> and it's an old book, um, but it's not just old, it's timeless. And it doesn't just tell us stuff that happened. It tells us what always happens. And so for anyone listening that is just in the grips of fear, Father, I pray that you would be the lifter of their heads, that you would point their eyes off of themselves and off of all the insufficient things that they're trusting in and that you would point their eyes squarely to you. So we love you and we praise you. Would you give us peace and would you give us strength? And it's in the name of the God of the storm we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message and encourage you to share it with your friends and family. If you live in the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, we'd love to meet you at one of our weekend gatherings. For campus locations, service times, and information on our children and student environments, check out gethope.net. To make sure you don't miss our next message, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. We would like to invite you to support what we are doing by visiting gethope.net slash give. Through generosity of people like you, Hope can run programs like our food pantry, homework club, project classroom, and many more.